1: We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office supplies at huge savings. Yeah, Digitex does that.
0: D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A on Oilers Radio, 630K. Ah, we're playing a little bit of a nickname game. With the King, Henrik Lundqvist, having to shut it down due to a a heart situation. And uh, I I don't know if the nicknames are the same today that maybe they were in the past. Uh, But we did have somebody that's obviously a Calgary Flames fan text the show to say, Bob, what about Big Save Dave regarding Dave Riddick and Johnny Hockey? Now, the funny thing about Johnny Hockey is that kind of stems from Johnny football. And Johnny Manziel... Made his reputation based on one game against Alabama, and he was terrific. He kind of looked like Fran Tarkenton back in uh, the uh, – remember Fran Tarkenton continues used to host? That's incredible. Anyways, uh, former New York Giants and Minnesota Vikings quarterback. And even Johnny Hockey's kind of had an up and down career. And as for Big Save Dave, well, now he's I guess Big Save Backup Dave uh, this season with them uh, shelling it out seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. Tons of texts that have come in all over the place. Bob Artemy, the Bread Man Panarin, is a good nickname. and that is a good current nickname. Uh, we are going to go to a guy. Oh, oh, by the way, there's a, a couple more here somebody's having some fun at my expense Cactus Jack texts the show to say Big Bobby Clobber Jasper Place Composite High School Intramural Indoor Soccer I don't know what you're talking about there Cactus Jack and what about Sean Cronin the Barbarian and Kenny the Snake Stabler. Well, he's, the last time I checked, the Snake, uh, who was an Alabama quarterback, did not play hockey. Cronin the Barbarian was definitely a tough dude back in the day. So, too, is our next guest, and he is our headliner in today's show for Touchback Safety. Stay safe on the job while saving time and money with all new blended uh, courses from Touchback Safety. Discover your safety training solutions today at uh, touchbacksafety.com. We bring aboard Big Lou, Louie DeBrusque. How
1: you doing, Lou? I'm doing well, Bob. How are you doing today? I heard you uh, mention a barbarian, Sean Cronin, and yeah, yes. I had my tussle yeah. with him back my rookie year. Um, he was that was a great nickname. I thought that was uh, one of the best ever.
0: Well, you could do an entire nickname of the tough guys, couldn't you? Like that, I could yeah. be like an well, entire like hockey. Think
1: c- about it. Like, think of Grim Reaper, Stu the Grim Reaper, Grimson. And you know, obviously, you know, Stu is a very religious man and a born again. It was just so contradictive to what he was really like as a, as a man. But I'll tell you what: um, when you knew when you knew the Grim Reaper was in the lineup, you had your head on a swivel.
0: Was there anybody that had a nickname, and you're like? Why do you have that nickname? (laughs) Like, I know Dave Semenko, Jack Killer Carlson, uh, who, as you know, was one of the Hanson brothers in Slapshot. Uh, Dave Semenko dusted off Jack Killer Carlson and then skated by the bench of the team and said, why do they call him Killer? Did he shoot his dog or something?
1: That, that, he's one of the few guys that could probably get away doing that, and yeah. know, nobody's going to argue with him. <laughs> for For the record,
0: that story is, I believe it was in Looking Out for Number One, or in Kevin Lowe's Champions. It's in one of those two books. I can't remember which one, but uh, when you, I mean, like and there, the thing about a good nickname is it's it can't just be a play in the, like Proby. That was kind of Bob Probert's nickname. By the way, I watched the yeah. documentary finally, Louie, last week, but Proby, you know, everybody knew who Proby was. He was the guy, he was the top but did, he didn't really have like you mentioned Grim Reaper, you mentioned Conan the you know, Cronin the Barbarian. Well, you know, well,
1: that's when you know that's how you know how tough Bob Probert was, is that he didn't need he needed that name. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you just saw Probert and you're like, Yep, okay. Everything got real serious real fast, you know. Um, oh, and I'll tell you he was a legend. What a uh, the funniest one... for him, but... Yeah, you know, just thinking back to it, I remember the first time being in the lineup. I did drop the gloves one time with him when he was a Chicago Blackhawks, and it was funny, kind of a funny story. You know, I came into a pile. They had Rico Chaconi on the team, and um, you know, a bunch of other different guys that were really tough. Chicago always had a tough squad. But I went into a scrum, and we kind of straight armed each other, and just out of instinct, because you're thinking of it, the gloves just came off because I'm thinking I'm not gonna get I'm not gonna get behind the eight ball fast with Proby if I if I'm gonna I want to get a good grip on him. Is what I was thinking in my mind. And he just looked at, me, he looked at me. So I was like, oops, sorry, I guess I dropped my gloves and picked them back up again. <laughs> he was just not in the mood to fight right at that time, right? And it was just, the guy never ducked anything. It was just, you know what, I'm not fighting right now. I don't know why you dropped your gloves. And I was like, sorry, Mr. Probert, I'll just pick these back up and put them back on. But yeah, you know what, he just had an amazing presence on the ice. He just knew when he was out there every single second.
0: Uh, yeah, we're there? I mean, I'm just thinking of who else sort of was. Of that vintage, I mean, you kind of the one that made me laugh is the Oilers in the WHA uh, had a guy Frank Beaton, okay, and he was with the Rangers in the late '70s as well, and they had a big line brawl against the Flyers in preseason, and he started off Frank uh, never beaten. And then it became Frank's. <laughs> then it became Frank seldom beaten, and then it became Frank often beaten. And he wasn't like like Louis. He was the size of Dennis Bulanich. Like he was yeah. like like he was like five seven, five eight,
1: right? But he knew That's how he was one of those guys. Thing is that some yeah. of the toughest guys in the history of the game weren't the biggest? I mean, they were they were just. I mean, there's just some some humans that just for whatever reason are just uh, above and beyond in that category and some of the toughest guys from my opinion when i look back even a guy like george mcfee you know george mcfee back in the day you look at him now as a general manager i swear he can't be more than 170 pounds 175 maybe he played at 190 when he was younger a little more bulked up but i'll tell you what he was taking on dave brown going toe to toe with dave brown like, and I just, just look it up. Just find those fights and look it up and you'll just go, what is this guy? He was like Ty Domi. You know, Ty Domi oh, wasn't yeah. the biggest guy either. But I yeah. mean, that guy yeah. was, you know, a junkyard dog, strong as an ox. But... You know, it's funny. You know, I just I just think, you know, some of the nicknames. You, when you said Frank there, one name that came to my mind was Frank the Animal Lois. Do you yeah. remember him?
0: Minor league yeah. tough guy, sure.
1: Yeah, minor league. Yeah. He got some games up with the Leafs. He fought Tony Twist one night. And uh, one of his first couple games, were first game or second game that he got called up, he fought Tony Twist and actually did okay. You know, was swinging away. And the Twister was uh, legendary as well. But, yeah, you know what? Uh, I love nicknames. I think they're great. I think it adds life and personality. To and I think, you know, the guys like the nicknames when they stick, and um, yeah, you know, usually you have to have to earn those nicknames, but sometimes they just get put on you. Well, John
0: Cordick, was he not Rambo? I'm thinking... Yep, was, I remember
1: that, I remember that, yep.
0: Because I, I remember what... He fought Tim Hunter because uh, I I grew up and he's uh, John was a year older than me and it, he wasn't like he didn't start fighting until he went to juniors but I remember when he fought uh, in the '86 playoffs for the Canadians against the Flames and. Hunter couldn't contain his left. One thing about Tim Hunter is he could fight all day. He didn't. He didn't. Right? Like he. He had. I mean, mm-hmm. he he endurance Dave Semenko, but he never hurt Dave Semenko. Like Dave opened him up a couple times, real bad. But Tim. Tim Hunter couldn't. He couldn't rein in those lefts from John Cordick and Cordick could pump him. Like he could. He could. He. He threw fast, and he threw. I mean, those were machine gun lefts when he was
1: in his prime. They level. were. You know what's amazing, too, because as a fighter, I always, you know, dealing with left-handed fighters, it's a different fight. It just is, and you have to be aware of that. You can go toe-to-toe. I always felt lefties had a little bit more of an advantage going toe-to-toe because they did it more often. You know, that was just, you know, that that line of firing was kind of what they were used to. So my game plan was always to try and tie up the left and throw left, make them throw rights. But, you know... John Cordick, I played with him down in Cape Breton for a couple of months, um, my rookie year. And, you know, for him, it was amazing to me how he could get that left free. You know, it was just so active and, and he was strong and he would just get it away. And you, you're right. You would think guys would be able to go in there and tie that left hand up because I don't think he had a great right. He wasn't a great right-handed fighter. He right. really was a one-dimensional fighter in that regard. But he was amazing at getting it away. He could get it away fast. He could get it away hard. And, he, and, you know, he would throw 40, 50 punches in a fight. It was not uncommon for him to throw that many, which is incredible. So by being that active with it, it just puts you on the defense right away. And I saw it firsthand. Hand for, you know, I think he had like 120 penalty minutes or whatever it was, 110 penalty minutes in 10 games that he played for Cape Breton that year when I was there. Um, and it was just a jackhammer. It really was. It was a jackhammer. He just got it away. And I used to always marvel at the fact that even guys that were smart, tactical fighters couldn't get a hold of that left hand. I'm like, it's like... Don't get don't go, don't get in the way of that thing because it's going to get you a few times. But he was really good at that. Yeah, Rambo's a great nickname for that. He was uh, he was a character for sure.
0: Louis, there's two that have come in here uh, preceding your era as a player, but you watched them as a kid. And the one guy was maybe the guy that everybody wanted to be. Um, the big guy with the Islanders was Jethro, and that was Clark Gillies, and he was nicknamed Jethro from the character on the Beverly Hillbillies. And then the little guy that they had was. Uh, the toy tiger gary howitt and oh, yeah. gary uh, yeah. he he yeah, was a uh, he yeah. was tough right and he was he was a little well, he, yeah he
1: used to fight matt was a mad dog kelly he used to fight all the time yeah he'd fight mad Flyers. dog kelly yeah with the flyer <laughs> yeah. no uh
0: yeah the hound he used to call yeah he used to fight the hound kelly
1: Tom Kelly. Okay, what I knew it was one of them, but they used to go at it all the time. I remember those fights, and that was kind of, to be honest with you, Bob, those are the fights that I cut my teeth on. You know, back in the day before we had YouTube and internet, and where you could look up anything and study, you know, it was VHS tapes. You got your, you got your hand on a collection of fights, six, seven hour tapes of just straight fights. It was grainy; the video wasn't that good, but you know, we would watch them for hours. We would sit and watch those VHS tapes for hours, and. You know, study. You know, I would I would pick up things. You would rewind and watch how a guy grabbed, how he tucked his chin, how he protected himself, how he would come into the fight. I mean, there, there's so many moving parts to it, like anything else. The more you could see, the better. But you know, there was a big chunk of time there where in the league you had no idea what a guy was all about. Your your information came from one of your teammates, from somebody. If you were lucky enough to have seen him fight before because we just didn't have the television and the games that were televised right, that do. So, right. hey, You had no idea what guys were. There'd be some young guy called up from the Western League, and it's like, wait a second, who is this guy? Is he tough? And then somebody, it was always like, oh, yeah, somebody in the room would say, like, oh, yeah, that guy's nails. Watch out. And that's great. Set the tone for the game. Be ready. Put the Vaseline on because this guy's really tough. But Well, did that ever happen
0: to you? Like, did that ever happen to you reputation-wise where you, you, you didn't have a scouting report on a guy and suddenly that guy's in the
1: lineup? and you knew you might have to drop the flippers all, with them all the time you know what happened quite a bit actually where i would grab a guy i remember a big guy named chad wagner one time with the, the vegas um, um thunder IHL team got team yes, thunder. thunder at the time yep at the thunder it was a thunder at that time and uh you know especially when i was down in the minors you know you get guys that would get called up a guy named brad wingfield sticks out to me um I was playing down in San Antonio, and all of a sudden, he's like cross-checking me at the end of the game. And to be honest with you, I never even really noticed that he was in the lineup. I was down on a, on a, a stint down in the IHL, and you know he's kind of giving me the business at the face-off. And I look at him like, who is this guy? You know, he's not like you know that big. And uh, I think you know Chad Wagner.
0: I, I think Chad Wagner played in, in the AJHL for some reason. In like, the, in, in like the mid-90s. No, I, I
1: think he did, yeah, no, for sure. And the other guy was uh, a young Eric Bolton, a young Eric Bolton who ended up uh, you know carving out a tremendous career for himself, played a lot, of, yeah. a lot of games and was with different teams and was a really respected guy just with his effort. And he was a tough dude, really strong, had a real big right hand. I fought him early in his career, too, and I didn't know who he was. When he came up, it was the same situation. He had got called up from another <laughs> pro league to play in the IHL, and next thing you know, it's like, who is this guy? But... With the style that I fought, though, Bob, to be honest, I always kinda was a controlled guy. Where yes. if I didn't know a player, I would just I would grab him and usually try and use my strength to manipulate him where I needed him and just see where the heat was coming from. You figure it out in a hurry. If a guy's a left-handed guy, I never forget one of the first fights I ever had in major junior hockey. Shane Stevenson, who was a first-round draft pick of the Boston Bruins, and you know he was a lefty. Did so he play we, for Anaheim?
0: He, Did he get some games in with Anaheim? Shane Stevenson. Uh, I think it's a different
1: Stevenson. I oh, think it's oh different, Garrett like, Stevenson, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, And Shane, Shane was really scrappy. I mean, he had a real jackhammer left hand. And we were pretty much the same weight my first year junior. And, I mean, I don't know if I've ever been marked up more in a fight in my life. I mean, I had a black eye for, I think, the first three, four weeks of junior just from fighting him in exhibition and, you know, it was just when you don't know a guy and back then I was a little more of a cowboy when I fought it was just straight on let's go bang and uh needless to say he hit me with he hit me with a good chunk of punches that I didn't even see coming cuz they were coming from the other side but you learn really fast when something like that happens and I was lucky enough that I didn't get crushed but I could take a good shot too, but yeah, you know what? You figured out in a hurry that these punches are coming from a different angle. I better do something quickly to turn this around. We had some good ones,
0: Louis. Uh, I'm going to switch focus here. Chad Wagner. I found him on Hockey DB. He did play briefly in Albert, uh, Alberta Junior with the he's San from Diego. Here, is he not? Is he from? Yeah, Madrid, he's from he's Calgary? from Calgary, I guess, or born yeah, in Calgary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, with San Diego in the old West Coast League, 503 minutes, 439 <laughs> minutes. Five 521 minutes, yep, yep. and then he went to the U-Haul, and he had 400, and geez, I'm wondering, um, he might have, he uh, 463 minutes. I thought Keith Gretzky yeah. was coaching the U-Haul one time. Louie, I'm going to totally switch folk. Like, we got Berkey on to talk about the NHL, NHLPA stuff. I'm going know, to, I know you're a hunter, and I know you have, pri- I know you have prime. Have you ever watched Missing 411, The Hunted, with Dave Paulitis, who's a former cop? He's written a series of books about missing hunters in clusters all over North America. Have you ever seen this series?
1: Wow, no, I haven't. Now you've really piqued my interest, though. And I can't believe, because I do have Prime, and I... Um... It's amazing. We've been we've been gobbling up content on all those platforms as much as possible in the last six months. It's incredible. I mean, but hey, listen, you do what you have to do. But I will definitely look that up, Bob. It sounds really interesting.
0: Well, and it, it obviously, uh, a lot of the people that tend, a lot of the hunters that tend to go missing, tend to be a little bit older, Louis. And there are some people that suggest that, look, it's statistics, you know, people, you know, end up uh, getting dis, uh, disorientated and end up in, you know, they end up in water or fall off a cliff or something like that.
1: Hypothermia. Right, hypothermia,
0: hypothermia right. Element. And there's there's some other ones where this just doesn't make any sense. And I just, I think back to, you know, I used to work in the reforestation industry, and I'm telling you right now, I wanted my guys in no later than 6 30 at night uh you get at eight thirty nine 9 o'clock at night even in the spring and it you know you, you can get a little bit lost out there and i know you hunt all the time and and there's there's yep. low, so i i'd recommend watch i mean it's a little bit conspiracy theorist ask shall we say but it was nonetheless
1: yeah. and i'm sure there's been moments like when you hunt are you by yourself yeah or do you no you're, you're Right. No, like honestly, like and it's 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 a good point you bring up, Bob, because I know that the guys that I hunt with and typically like listen, I'm ninety nine point nine percent bull hunting, right? Yeah. I'm a bull hunter. Yeah. It's what I choose to do. I've hunted with rifle and there's nothing against that in my opinion. I I still do the occasional time goal with a gun, coyote hunting, things like that, but I really am predominantly a bull hunter and I just really love it. That's just what I love to do. Now, it is a solitary sport. You're in the tree yourself, you're walking in the dark, you're walking out in the dark, like there's a a lot of things that can go wrong and I know that with the group that I hunt with here in the bow zone around Edmonton and we just did that bow zone live with a the group of us but we are always in contact with one another I set up my stands with safety lines when I can to make sure they're as safe as possible going up and down always let somebody know what stand I'm in people know where I am we always touch base and let people know that we're out of the stand what had happened there's a lot of communication that goes on there for exactly the reason that you're talking about something can happen and if it does we want to know where each other are so that we can go in there and make sure that we know exactly where to go because and that's always at the top of our list bob you bring up a really good point but you know what you are going out into nature you're going out into the elements and as i said you're walking into your tree stand in the dark and you're walking out of the dark and there's some 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 hairy situations where you walk in and you hear something and it's you know what we all understand and take on that responsibility. We all understand the risks of going out there, but it's what we love and the passion that we lo- love to do. Um, we don't look at it as a high-risk thing to do, to be honest with you, because we're within 30 minutes of the city, but you know what? Never a bad idea to always have a safety check and a list so that when you go out there, you're being as safe as possible. When you're in a tree stand, obviously you have to wear your, your harness, and yeah, we, we really do take that seriously, though, Bob.
0: All right. Well, J-Rock is Texas, Louie, on our Ashley Fineflores text line and he says missing 411 is amazing i've been on it for a few years now it's not always hunters either he's got a book about national park disappearances and it's eerie according to jay just a quick-
1: story years ago in one of the lockouts I I can't that was the second one potentially that I went and hunted in in Ontario with my dad and our family hunt lodge up by Huntsville Ontario for moose and uh, you know it's it's party hunting it's a group of guys it's a lodge it's been in my family's name the Kinsey name for you know 60 70 years now 70 I want to say or plus plus. But anyway, I the, the older guys in camp hunt the morning and the night and I was kind of a young, you know, young guy and I just wanted to hunt more. I'm like, I don't want to sit around and not do anything. So my dad said, "Listen, take your gun and just go for a walk. Go for a walk back behind the the, the camp." And you know, like uh just follow the trails, the blazes, and all that. And I walked back there, and it was a miserable day. It was raining a bit. It was overcast, darker. And as I kind of walked back there, I just kind of lost track of where I was, and I got lost. I got lost for about... 45-50 45-50 minutes. Now, it doesn't seem like that long of a time, but the panic that was starting to set in with me, and here I am with a high-powered rifle in my hand, I had clothes on, you know, I think I had some snacks in my pack. I mean, I was totally safe, but your mind starts to play tricks on you. It really does. It starts to play tricks on you after a while. You're like, whoa, how far am I in here? It's getting dark now. Where am I going? I'm not even going to have, I didn't have a flashlight, which was stupid of me at that time, but I eventually found that blaze trail and got back to the camp, but it really, reminded me how quickly something can go south all of a sudden you know where you are then you don't know where you are if you panic and make the wrong decisions in that panic it can really start to snowball on you in a negative way so i could totally understand i'm going to definitely look up that show because i find that stuff very interesting but yeah you always have to be on alert and you always have to be aware and you always have to kind of have a game plan that's very important
0: louie i got lost at 86 up on uh And if not for the smoke tent or our drying, like basically our drying shack for our clothes, that's how yep. I was able to find the camp because I'd taken, and I was like 20 and I wasn't, I wasn't experienced and I, all I had on me was a Rambo pig sticker. Okay. Like I had about a six inch blade on a knife and that's all that I had. And, and, my, and it was getting dark and I was getting a little bit nervous. And fortunately, <laughs> fortunately I saw the yep. smoke, right? I saw the smoke. Yep. If not, um, you know, I might have been out there overnight. So, and it, it is incredibly humbling. Hey, great stuff, Louis. Thanks for your time, man.
1: All right, Bob. You take care.
0: Yvette, that is Louis DeBrusque from NHL hockey. On Rogers, Bob Stauffer with you, along with uh, Brendan Escott. Uh, Louis DeBrusque is our Oilers now headliner for Touchback Safety. Stay safe on the job while saving time and money with the all-new blended learning courses from Touchback Safety. Discover your safety training solutions today at TouchbackSafety.com. Back in one minute's time with the Oilers now prospect report for James H. Brown. Hi, this is Zach Cassian from your Edmonton Oilers,
1: and you're listening to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on 630
0: Ched, Edmonton Media personality Mark Connolly tweeting us saying, hey, Bob, did I miss it? Or has somebody mentioned the often-traded Gary Suitcase Smith, the old goaltender? And Robin Brownlee's tweeted us as well to say, here's some old-schoolers for you. Derek the Turk Sanderson. Uh, Peter Flanders Budai. I I don't ever recall that one. Uh, uh, Gary Bones Bromley. I believe Gary Bromley shares something in common with yours truly. Uh, We both went to Harry Ainley Composite High School. Uh, King Kong, Jerry Korra, one of the biggest men in the NHL. He broke in with the Blackhawks. And he uh, mentioned the Roadrunner as well, Yvonne Cornway. Roose Chris Steakhouse, the greatest steak you've ever had. Edmonton owned and operated. 99th, Roos Chris is close for the next four weeks to comply with provincial health guidelines. But Brendan and the staff at Roos Chris are wishing you a safe and happy holiday season and looking forward to seeing you again in the year, uh, new year. Into the Orders now prospect report for James H. Brown injury lawyers. When accidents happen, go to jameshbrown.com. Here's Brendan Escott. Okay, uh, 2018 second rounder Ryan McLeod had an assist yesterday in his team's 4-3 shootout loss in the top Swiss League. Give him a seven on the year to go with four goals. Gaetan Haas scored his fifth of the year for sc bern in that same league up to eight points in 14 games now tyler benson playing a level below that in switzerland he tallied an assist on tuesday that gives him points in three straight games and 19 in 17 total games other than that there's really not a lot going on over in europe right now to be honest i got the explanation from robin brownley on uh peter budai he had artwork of ned flanders on his mask. That's why they call them Flanners. See, that I did not know. Uh, you learn a new thing every day. It's beautiful. 1259 in edmonton off to a global news weather traffic update when we come back for our friends at Canadian Power Pack, longtime NHL executive Brian Burke. This is Oilers Now. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.